Welcome to the Men of Sorrows podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrow and of great joy. Our podcast is committed to supporting and encouraging men to process their grief in order to heal and return to joyful living in the midst of great sadness. I grew up with the phrase, big men don't cry. But here men are invited to not only cry, but to mourn and express their emotions by following the example of the best, bravest, strongest man that ever lived, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hebrews 5, 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And Isaiah 51 declares that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Today I review the six needs of mourning found in Dr. Wilfelt's book entitled Understanding Your Grief. Dr. Alan Wilfelt is the head of the Center for Loss and has dedicated his life to helping others on their journey through grief. Through his book Understanding Your Grief, he lays out the six needs of mourning. Like I said in the introduction, Dr. Alan Wolfelt wrote Understanding Your Grief. And in the book, he has six needs of mourning. He explains that the stages of grief, as outlined by Kubler-Ross, were not meant to be a linear, easy one, two, three progressive stage that many times we are all over the place in our grief. What I want to do is to go over the six needs of mourning and just talk about how I work through those six needs of mourning. I read this book very early on in my grief process. My dear friend and mother-in-law, um, Shelley Marvel, sent me the book. She had it delivered right to the house. And it was, it was a hard read because Alan Wolfelt, Dr. Wolfelt, does not pull any punches about the pain you're about to face and walk through. So let's go through the six needs of mourning, and I'll just relate personally how I attempted to embrace these needs. Mourning need number one is accept the reality of the death. Now, this might seem either difficult or it might seem simplistic. How can you not accept the reality? The person's never coming back. However, I remember that I went through all the would've, should'ves, and could'ves. And I talked about all the things that could've happened and enabled Liam, my son, to still be alive. As you know, in my case, it was a suicide of my son Liam. So that was very hard to accept the reality of the death. It was very difficult. And I remember Liam died May 9th, 2019. I remember it was the middle of July that I broke down in my bedroom and what came out of me was I can't believe he's gone. I can't believe he's gone. So it does take time to accept the reality of the death. In fact, many grief experts and neuroscientists say that our brain kind of disconnects from that fact, that our body is in shock 
And there is something that occurs in our brain that really does not let us accept the full reality of it right away because it might kill us. My friend John Glenn also, and he was talking from a biblical perspective about how it seemed a lot of the early people after the creation of the earth early on lived a long time. And he said that the grief, that awful grief is what really ages us and why our lifespan is much shorter than it used to be. That's a theory, but accepting the reality of the death. What he says is whether the death was sudden or anticipated, acknowledging the full reality of the loss may occur over weeks and months. You may expect him or her to come through the door, to call on the fellow's telephone or even touch you. And that's where for me, when I began to really try to tap into the hope of eternal life and the hope of heaven and the kingdom of God and seeing my loved one again, that hope would get tricky because, because you're hoping to see them again, you expect that it might be next week or they might walk through the door. So sometimes that hope delayed for me a little bit of accepting the full reality of the loss. Morning need number two is let yourself feel the pain of the loss. Now this is also difficult. There's a lot of ways that we can avoid pain. One of the biggest is people stay busy. They just stay busy and they keep moving and keep themselves occupied so that they can't really focus on their pain the other is, of course, numbing the pain, drugs, alcohol. But when, it, when he says to feel and let yourself feel the pain of the loss, he says, I may try to protect myself from my sadness by not talking about my loss. I may even secretly hope that the person who died will come back if I don't talk about it. Yet, as difficult as it is, I must feel it to heal it. I remember driving home from Liam's funeral and trying to figure out how I cannot go through the pain. That was for everybody else, not for me. There must be some way that I don't have to feel the full pain of this. There must be something I can do, something I can think, something that could suddenly happen. And one of those things was I kept asking God for a vision to see my son. And I didn't want to dream. I wanted that I was wide awake in the middle of the day vision. That never happened, and in other episodes I explained that God gave me himself, his presence, his comfort, his peace. Eventually, I felt the full pain, and it was awful. It was agony. It was hell. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. That came out of me a few times. Those were the words that I spoke. I would not wish this on my worst enemy. I would not wish this on anybody. The pain was at times unbearable. And I did not think, one of the things that I thought is, I cannot live like this the rest of my life. I can't. People tell me that, oh, it never gets better or you never get over it. I was scared then. That created anxiety because it was so painful. The loss created this void, this wall, this horror inside of me. Just this awful pain that is indescribable. 
But as I felt the pain and cried and mourned and felt it, I can stand here today, three years and a couple months later and say that I don't feel that pain anymore like I did. I'm functioning, I'm embracing life. I am so happy to be in the land of the living and each day being an opportunity to laugh, to love, and to remember my son and to remember my dad. I lost my dad about a year and a half after I lost my son. So letting you feel the pain is very important. Don't try to escape it. The only way out is through it. Dr. Wolfelt writes, the grief within me has its own heartbeat. It has its own life, its own song. Part of me wants to resist the rhythms of my grief. Yet as I surrender to the song, I learn to listen deep within my grief, deep within myself. So there are times, there are going to be people in your life, whether at work or within the family, that want you to be okay, that need you to be okay. And you will pretend to be okay for them. But you have to take a break from that facade and get alone and let the floodgates open. I got really good at sneaking off so that I could bawl my eyes out, so that I could cry my eyes out and feel the pain. And there was regret and there was woulda, coulda, shouldas. There were mistakes that I made and I had to feel all of that and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And there's different ways that you let yourself feel the pain. And there's different ways that one and two go together. One of the ways was me going to support groups. I remember the time that I went to Compassionate Friends and Hospice has internationally has a support group of Compassionate Friends. This is particularly for child loss, for parents who have lost children. Compassionate Friends recognizes that that seems to go against the natural order and that it's unlike any other loss and, and mourning. So I went to the Compassionate Friends and when they asked me, they gave me their little packet and they asked me to go sign in and <laughs> write my email. And this was, this was a good month or so after it maybe... I remember walking over there and just starting to cry because it was one more step of accepting it. It was one more step at acknowledging Liam was gone. Going to that group was one more step. Writing my name in email, and I had to write. They had to write, why are you here? Who did you lose? Because they want to know these things. They want to know the birthday. I mean, Compassionate Friends is a very, very, very good support group if you've lost a child. Morning need number three is remember the person who died. Dr. Wolfoot writes, do you have any kind of relationship with the people after they die? Of course, you have a relationship of memory, precious memories. The essence of finding meaning in the future is not to forget my past, as I have been told, but instead to embrace my past, for it is in listening to the music of the past that I can sing in the present and dance in the future. Wow. <laughs> wow. And here are some hints that he gives for doing that. 
talking out and writing out favorite memories, giving yourself permission to keep some special keepsakes or linking objects, displaying photos of the person who died, visiting places of special significance that stimulate memories of time shared together, reviewing photo albums at special times such as holidays, birthdays, and anniversaries. For me, that was, in, in the very beginning, it was very difficult because I felt the only reason Liam would take his life is that he felt unloved or unwanted. I since learned that that was not the case. So I, a lot of the memories that I visited were, were painful memories, and I, it was so hard because there was a period... Liam, Liam was my, my only child for a long time. He was a beautiful, compliant boy. Of course, when he hit his teenage years, you know what happens then. And then he went in the Marines. And when he got out of the Marines, we struggled to break off that father-son relationship. I mean, Liam still felt it psychologically. I could influence him. I could come down on him. I could tell him that, you know, you got to get your act together or whatever would easily we would easily fall back into those patterns so we butt heads a little bit because liam had uh this idea i'm a marine i'm an adult and likewise i needed to respect that so we had a few bumps and bruises but that seemed to be screaming in my face when liam first died and now that time has gone by i've read his journals i've read things that he's written i've looked at our text we loved each other deeply. I mean, as father and son, especially in his younger years, we were, we were one. We, there was, we were so close and had a blast together. Those are the things. I do remember, Liam. There was a great, great Christmas memory that we have, that we have on film, where I surprised my parents and Liam... Um, came up and my friend delivered this box to them and that they had to open and Liam pops out of the box. I watch that every Christmas time. I look at photos of Liam and I and through Facebook, you know, Facebook has the memories. A lot of times pictures come up on the memories of me and Liam when he got out of the Marines smoking cigar or me visiting him at, on the camp or his, his graduation from the Marine Corps or us hanging out at the beach. There's a real funny memory that I have where Grace, my daughter, Liam's sister, she had to do a, she did a little documentary. She made her own documentary about Shakespeare. And she talked about Shakespeare's day that only males could act, only men could act. So <laughs> Liam, she had, she had Liam dress up in a dress and... I was Romeo and, and Liam was Juliet and we acted out the scene and it was kind of funny. Just a real little, a short little blip. She only had a little part of it. <clears throat> but that that's a fun memory. So yes, remembering uh, eventually if you're having painful memories, eventually all the good memories are going to come. God will renew your mind, will renew your heart, and you will have a lot of fun memories. There's something that... Um, you know, we, our whole family talks about with Liam is that he was an avid, avid reader. He loved reading and he would awfully, often quote. And he was also a big Star Wars fan. I was a single dad with Liam when the first three came out, The Phantom Menace and those three. And then Liam was just out of the Marines and Grace was old enough to go see them all. 
when the final three came out after Disney took over. So we have a lot of great memories around Star Wars. It was important that, you know, I remember Liam and I, you're never going to forget your loved one. So you can make scrapbooks. I made a video with music of Liam's life. And I'll look at that from time to time. Morning need number four, develop a new self-identity. Alan Wolfelt writes, Now I realize I knew myself so little. The death forced me to become reacquainted with myself. I must slow down and listen. A death often requires you to take on new roles that had been filled by the person who died. I had a lot of worth bound up in being a father, wanting to be a good father, wanting to be a good father. And of course, when this happened, any worth that I had in thinking of myself as a good parent went out the window. And that doesn't mean that I wasn't, I'll leave that to, to judgment day. <laughs> when, I meet, when I meet my Lord and Savior face to face, I expect to receive mercy for all the mistakes that I made in my parenting. That was settled during my grief process, but I did have to take on a new identity in the sense that I was no, no longer here on earth. I was no longer Liam's dad. I mean, I am Liam's dad. I always will be, but you get, you know, the, you get the idea. He's not here for me to give advice. He's not here for me to hang out with. He's not here on earth physically as my son. So my new identity had more to do with not having my worth as a person bound up in being a parent. And it moved me towards, more towards having my worth bound up in my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what made me significant in this world. You could feel forgotten by God. You could feel cast off by God. You can feel insignificant if that person, you know, if, if you were a, a spouse and you were the apple of your husband's or wife's eye you were the center of their world the companionship is gone and now you're not with that person so there's a lot of ways that our identity changes but for me it was what is my identity great father or the ultimate identity child of god through jesus christ morning need number five is that we search for meaning Dr. Wilfelt writes, I must encounter my questions, my doubts, my fears. There is richness in these domains. As I explore them, I don't reinforce my tensions, but instead release them. In this way, I transcend my grief and discover new life beyond anything my heart could ever have comprehended. Oh, the gentleness of new life. I deserve to be proud of my search for meaning in life after the death of someone I love. Grief confronts me with the reality of this now. So finding meaning, I think a lot of this has to do with what, what did you see as the meaning of life before the loss, before the death? For me, all of my meaning was in the creator God who created us, who sent his son to die for us, who promised that there's eternal life, that this life is not all there is, that there is more beyond this. And for me, all of that got turned upside down. For a long time, I was like, ah, 
I, I didn't think, I, I, I really doubted heaven. I doubted eternal life. I doubted anything beyond this earth, our physical body, this biological earth, that there's nothing beyond that. I've mentioned it before. I was a pastor, a, a lover of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, and a pastor who officiated several, many, I, I don't know how many funerals of you know people associated with our church that would ask, me to officiate. I walked with families. I talked with families. I sat at deathbeds. And all of it was this exciting thing like, yes, there's there's eternal life. Your loved one's rejoicing. You're going to see them again. All that went out the window. That didn't mean anything to me, the loss of my son. It wasn't the kind of doubt that, oh, how could God let this happen? How, how could there be a God? Like I said before, I have too much, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I mean, this world, there has, there, there, there's intelligent design. There, anyone that says there's not isn't looking even at the human eye. So I wasn't an atheist, but it, it just did not ring true to me at the time. The gaping wound of the loss and the vibrating throughout my body just drowned everything else out. The grief screaming out loud drowned it all out. But as time went on and my faith began to come back and I really sought after God and prayed and, and God really reached out to me. God really took my hand and walked me through this and taught me new things. And now my view of God is so much bigger and broader and more inclusive than it ever was and I have more joy in life than I've ever had. The sadness is always there. I, I was driving home from the gym today and I started crying. I mean, it's always going to be there. You know, there's there are days now that I, I don't cry, but I, I cry on a regular basis when I just, if I miss Liam or think about him or think about the pain or think about him being gone or even a good memory sometimes will, you know, evoke tears. But finding meaning, I think, has a lot to do with what you believed before. However, this may be the catalyst for you to ask those big questions. If you don't think that there's eternal life, maybe now is the time for you to really settle that and say, wow, this is amazing. I am going to see my husband again, my child again, my sister or brother again, whoever the loss is. And then morning need number six, let others help you now and always. And Dr. Wilfelt writes, I heal in part by allowing others to express their love for me. By choosing to invite others into my journey, I move forward toward health and healing. If I hide from others, I hide from healing. This to me is, is so important and I have to, I'm eternally grateful for my friend and pastor, John Glenn, because I sought him out and I asked him to help me process this and he became my grief counselor. And I'm eternally grateful because we, we spent a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of hours in his dimly lit office out there in Okeechobee talking things over and processing things. And John's faith was 
well strong and they were I mean there were things that are just you know blazed in my memory of John talking about eternity and and me at one time on my hands and knees just bawling out bawling my eyes out you know so I'm I'm grateful for for John I'm grateful to my family, especially my wife, Carrie Ann, and my daughter, Grace, because it was the three of us living at home. And we had to go through all of our stuff together. And um, I'm grateful for my parents, my, my family, my brothers, sisters. I'm grateful for the compassionate friends. I'm grateful to Terry Fleming and the Jupiter Suicide Support Group. I'm grateful to so many friends and family on Facebook that reached out to me, people that I could text. There were people that I found out, you know, on my Facebook group, uh, dear woman, Betty Cox, she had lost her son. And she's, when she was talking to me, I wrote back to her. I said, something tells me that you've been through this from the things that she was saying as she reached out to me. And then we became you know, grief partners, you know, we talked back and forth. Um, my mother from another brother, or however the hell they say that, <laughs> Betty Kimberg, you know, um, she had lost her son and I was his age and she always kind of looked and said, oh, you're Paul's age and, you know, would think of him. And I, she kind of adopted me as her son and she was my Florida mom down here. <clears throat> I'm grateful to her. I'm grateful to so many. I, I could name names all day. Um, my friend Richard Long, who told me, he said, Bill, you're, when this is all over, you're going to shine brighter. I promise you. I didn't think that would happen. I hope it's happening. I hope that, you know, my heart's been ripped open enough for God to kind of shed some of his light and love through it. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful to my South Fork family. To my principals, Jay Blavitt, Janet Cisic, um, Ed Geiger. I broke down and cried in Ed Geiger's arms when I went back to school. So all of that, don't go it alone. Don't. Always accept help. Find someone and be aggressive. Tell somebody, listen, I got to talk about this. Can you listen? Because I told my story over and over and over again and again and again and again, even this podcast is, a, is, is an outlet for me. You know, I'm hoping that I might help others. I'm, I'm hoping that others will help me. So just to review, the six needs of mourning, accept the reality of the death. Let yourself feel the pain of the loss. Remember the person who died. Develop a new self-identity. Search for meaning and let others help you now and always. I'm here if you need to reach out. Um, my email is in the show notes. I'm also going to put Dr. Wolfelt's website, the Center for Loss, in the show notes. You can visit that website. There are a lot of resources there. You could get on his email list where he does a daily, he does a daily reflection on grief and he sends it out every day. All his books are there, and information on when he speaks publicly is there. For me, um, Dr. Alan Wolfelt is he's a grief expert, and his writings and, and listening to him and reading 
His writings have helped me immensely. So that is all in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember, God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. And nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus.